Hello, you are listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This Advent and Christmas tide, we are going to consider together the great O Antiphons. We know them today in the famous hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, but they date back as far as the 6th century and by the time of the 8th century were widely used in the liturgies of the seven days that led up to Christmas as sort of an Advent within Advent. Each verse highlights for us part of what we long for in the first and second coming of Jesus, and therefore part of what we are given in the gift of Jesus. It's our hope that these sermons will both help you prepare for and to celebrate the gift of Jesus. We'd love to meet you, and we hope you'll consider coming and joining with us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon. God bless. So Liberty had a a little badge on that said, uh, hello, I'm anxious. And I joked with her and said, oh, can I wear that? (laughs) And uh, as I turned around to get up now, there it was on on the pew next to me. But I didn't have time to put it on. I'm a little bit anxious, you know. I'm not going to. Psalm 73 Psalm 73, Asaph, oh, we've got a clock now. Last time I was up here, we didn't have a clock. Asaph, um, he was one of David's Levitical choir directors. He was a, a worship leader in the temple and a very passionate believer. And... Um, This psalm, I'm not going to go over the whole thing. He is disillusioned. He's upset. Um, In fact, uh, he says, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There was a seeming contradiction that um, he was upset. And actually it brought him to the place of almost... Denying the faith. Um, he, he, uh, he sees the wicked prospering and the righteous uh, in all kinds of trouble. Even being taken advantage of by the wicked. And it causes him to doubt. It causes him to, in his heart, to doubt God. And he almost turns his back. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped I had nearly lost my foothold. And in the Hebrew, that's an intentional thing. It's, it's not like out of his control or involuntary. That um, this is something he almost did. Uh, because of his discouragement and, and disillusionment. And I guess we've all been through that. Where the things don't seem to be going the way God says they're going to be going. Or should be going or are going. <laughs> and uh, it causes us deep inside to face uh, temptation to doubt. Um, and get angry with God, which um, God accepts. And, um, and so he, uh, and of course, uh, he exaggerates what he sees. He's talking about the, uh, the arrogant, the, 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 the wicked who are prosperous and at the expense of the righteous. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to men. 
he goes on. He, he's exaggerating in his mind. That's the way it looks. Um, and maybe in comparison to other people, that's somewhat true. You know, money can do some things for you, I guess. Um, so he's upset. He's angry. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. Um, so there, there's things going on that he's that don't add up. He says, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. Good guys finish last. You know, <laughs> that's where he's at. And um, all day long I have been plagued. I have been, I have been punished every morning. Um, but they're always happy. They got no problems. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. You know, the harder he tried to figure it out with his human reasoning, the worse it got. And we, we, thinking is overrated, folks. Uh, we, we try too hard to understand things that we got to get to Psalm 131 and not mess with things that are too wonderful for us, you know. But anyway, he, he's trying too hard to figure it out. His trust is in his own human reasoning at this point and the harder he tries the worse it gets and you've all been there and I've been there in some sense it's been the story of my life until relatively recently um, but till he says till I entered the sanctuary of God he humbles himself at some point and comes into God's presence and in essence says all right uh, you're right I'm wrong uh, what am I not seeing here and, um, and we all have to come to that point um, of humbling ourselves when we're going through anger and doubt and dis disillusionment. And we've got to come to the place of humbling ourselves. All right, you know more than me. We've got to come to that point. And, um, and then God shows him some things. He says, surely you place them on slippery ground. They're the ones whose feet are going to slip, not mine. You cast them down to ruin. And so he sees and he's, that they're the ones that are going to get it in the end. And that's okay with him. Um, so in verses 21 to 26, he's recounting. He goes back and he's recounting his, this experience. And he says, when, when my heart, you know what I did? I forgot my notebook. <laughs> can, can you run that notebook up here? No, it's sitting there. It's a spiral notebook. It's sitting on the bench. <laughs> yeah, there's one. Sorry. All right. As I was saying, so... He's recounting. And we're going to have um, three, three attitudes here. Three heart attitudes are what we're going to look at. And we really are going to work this into Advent. So it doesn't seem so at first, but wait and see. Um, three, three attitudes are going on here. The first one in verses 21 and 22 is, is Asaph's heart attitude toward God. Uh, the second two verses, uh, 23, 24, are God's heart attitude towards Ahab, Ahab, towards Asaph, in spite of his heart attitude toward God. 
And the third one is Asaph's heart attitude toward God in response to God's heart attitude toward him, which he experiences. And those are the three things we're going to look at. And the first one, when my spirit was, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. So he's seeing this <clears throat> in the midst of his discouragement, disillusionment, doubt, temptation to turn his back on his faith. Uh, he says he was angry. He, his heart, he, uh, my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. He was angry at God. Um, uh, and he's saying this, he's acknowledging this. Uh, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Um, you ever been a brute beast before God? I have. I get so frustrated sometimes. And I remember one time during, a, during my prayer time in the morning, I, I got so upset and so frustrated. I just pounded my fist. Said, what do you want from me? And I uh, said that to God. And, um, sometimes we, we can uh, behave like a sen senseless and ignorant, like a brute beast before God. And uh, in our hearts, in our behavior. Um, and, and this is what he's acknowledging. Um, you know, Asaph had forgotten uh, Isaiah 55, uh, 8 and 9. Or, for my, thought, uh, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Asaph had forgotten that and was making the mistake, as we often do, of limiting God to the confines of his puny created mind. And um, by his attitude, by his heart attitude, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Now we look at God's hard attitude toward Asaph. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. That yet is huge. Yet I am always with you, even in the midst of being a brute beast before him. Why? Because as Pastor mentioned in a sermon a couple weeks ago, because God says, I'm yours. I'm, God says, you're mine. Because Asaph was his. He was forgiven. And, and even in the midst of Asaph being senseless and ignorant and a brute beast before God, God's heart toward him did not change. And that's what this is saying. Yet, I am always with you. Even when I'm behaving like a brute beast. Your heart the, toward me. You may discipline. You may discipline if I continue. But your heart of grace. Your, the fact that I'm forgiven. Your heart of love and unconditional love. Your heart of acceptance and not rejection 
does not change. Yet, I am always with you, even in the midst of behaving like a brute beast before him, as a child of his. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Asaph experiences what it means to be forgiven. He's, he knows, he's feeling what it means to be forgiven. It's, it's an experiential thing at this point for him. And he's amazed by it. Much like the woman that came up behind Jesus while he was reclining at table at the Pharisee's house and wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She knew she had been forgiven. Even me. And her heart responded in worship. You see. And that's what happens with Asaph. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, and they will, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. His heart respond, that, his attitude of anger, disappointment with God, God's heart attitude of not, his, God's heart does not change towards Asaph. His heart of love, forgiveness, acceptance, nothing changes. Asaph sees this, experiences this, and his heart changes. And he responds in worship, and he wants more. And that's where the Advent comes in for us. He's already come, if you're a Christian. He came the first time in history. He's come into your heart. We're looking for him to come the second time. But what is Advent to us, to whom? And in whom he already is. If it isn't wanting him more. Wanting more of him. That's what it is. That's what Advent is for us. We, we taste and see that he's good. We, we, we experience that we're forgiven. And unconditionally loved. And when that hits our heart. We want him more. We want more. And that's what's going on with Asaph. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Oh, that we could come to the place of knowing that, of wanting, knowing that knowing Jesus is everything. Knowing Christ is everything. Earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my, my flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now in this verse, it doesn't say God gives me strength. It says God is the strength of my heart. Why? Because that's where God lives. In your heart. He is the strength of your heart. He is your strength. He is your love. He is your faith. He is your hope. He is your life. Colossians 3, 
Paul says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Don't set them too much on self and sin. Self and sin are earthly things. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. But what does Paul say here? When Christ, he says your life is now hidden with Christ in God. God keeps us in the darkness of faith. He doesn't show us, he shows us what he wills to show us to keep us in the darkness of faith. So we don't know what's coming. We've got to live in the day. Take no thought of tomorrow. Live today. We don't know. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. And he reveals to us what he wants to, when he wants to, how he wants to. And it's perfect. When Christ, who is your life. Now Paul's not saying that sentimentally or devotionally. He's saying it literally. When Christ, who is your life. Because why? Because you died and you've been raised up in Christ. You're in him. He's in you. He is your life now. And what's the implication? Yield. Surrender to him. To that oneness that is now. And abide in that vine. But we're not going there this morning. He is your life. He is your faith. He's in you. He is your life. You're one with him. When anyone puts their faith in the Lord, they become one spirit with him. He is your life. He is your love. He is your faith. He is your love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I missed one. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He is your life. And so that's why Asaph says, if you can find it again, why Asaph says my flesh and my heart will fail and to the degree you trust in your flesh and your heart you will fail every time my flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart because that's where he lives and my portion forever you need you want some more you want anything else no 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 thanks I'm full I've got Jesus he's my portion I'm, I'm full thank you I'm all filled up. I've got Jesus. Thanks anyway. I don't need anything else. Don't want anything else. So Advent for us is desiring him because we know we're forgiven. And a lot of other reasons. Perfectly loved. Unconditionally loved. Because we're his. Because we're coming to know that more and more. Experientially. Knowing him. Paul says, we would say with Paul, I want to know him. Now Paul already knew him, the way we talk about knowing him. But Paul meant more. I want to know him. Or that we would come to the place of that being our deepest, most passionate desire. That's what I want. And only God can do that. We can't do that. But God says, 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You want to desire him more? Ask God. Ask God. He wants to give you that. He wants to give you that. He wants to give you all things. All these things we're talking about. All the things scripture talks about. So Advent for us is because we know we're forgiven and unconditionally loved and totally accepted. Just the way we are. Because we know that. Advent for us is desiring him more. Desiring him closer. Because we know we're forgiven. Because we know his grace and unconditional love. Because we know him and he knows us. Because we've experienced him. We want more. We want more. In closing, Augustine said, when, when you have Christ, you have everything. Matthew Henry said this, Something or other the soul will be hungering and thirsting after. Therefore, they are blessed who fasten upon the right object. You see? Let's pray together. O oh Lord, that uh, as a church, as individuals, um, create in us a heart that desires you more. That, that knows that knowing you really is the best thing there is. It really is the best thing. And that we would want you closer, we would want you more and more. We would desire you this Advent. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons Podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening. God bless.